All right, praise God. I want to encourage you guys to keep, keep uh, Lola in your prayers. Uh, she's in very uh, tough shape right now. I know a lot of people have been praying for her, but pray for Chuck as well and the entire family uh, there. And uh, thankfully, I had heard that uh, Chuck was able to uh, get a uh, very rare provision, which was he was able to visit her. So, or they've opened up the door for him to visit her, which is not typical. So that's we're very, very grateful for that. And uh, I want to encourage you all to press on in Jesus. Uh, just one on a, a personal side, you know, we, we miss you guys dearly. Uh, it's just really strange. Uh, been doing some counseling via Skype, things like that. And that's about as much fellowship as I get without outside of my own family, you know. And uh, occasionally, you know, uh, of course, talking on the phone quite a bit to different people, which is great fellowship. But as far as uh, having seen people's faces and so forth, you know, I can relate to Paul's epistles where he says he longs to see them face to face, you know, because he was communicating with letters and they're so far away from each other and they really treasure those moments. And it made me think, wow, there's a lot we take for granted and we know that. And one of those things I think we take for granted uh, that many people don't have is uh, being able to have relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, and having a, being able to have uh, intimate relationships with people that love Jesus is, is, is premium. And all we have to do is put ourselves out there in the Lord and obey him and go forward and, and not forsake the fellowship of ourselves together and be, appreci be appreciative of one another, amen? So I want to encourage you to uh, uh, encourage one another and not let the, you know, the self-quarantining and the social distance and everything keep you from encouraging one another in Christ. Uh, that's imperative. I mean, we're called not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we can still, we can still assemble it together. Uh, to a degree. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Amen. So we can still have church. We can still have messages. We can still communicate with one another and so forth. And we can pray that this thing ends and that, as it's been said, the cure that they have going right now is not worse than the, than the sickness, you know, because uh, obviously it wasn't organized to where, you know, it's easy to play Monday night, Monday morning quarterback and look back at the games and say, oh, they should have done this and that and the other. So we want to be careful and be humble about this too. But Obviously, uh, there wasn't enough uh, thought and everything put into, you know, navigating this by regions, and it was just kind of a countrywide thing, and I know that the governors got involved and so forth, but sometimes there's a lot of overkill. So we want to pray that, uh, that you know, uh, people are, you know, there's more freedom allowed sooner rather than later, if possible. Of course, you don't want this whole thing to come back and bite us harder, which they're warning about. So pray that our leaders would have, our civil leaders would have knowledge and wisdom. But in the meantime, we belong to Jesus, Amen. And we are in his hands, amen? And uh, we all belong to him, and we know that we're secure in him, and we should be trusting him. And this didn't catch him by surprise. In fact, like I told you before, when Jeremiah was warned, if you can't run with the foot soldiers, you know, what are you going to do when the horses come, the chariots come, you know, in the thickets of the Jordan? We need to make sure that we recognize that this is nothing compared to a lot of what's going to be going down in the future. And now, I say it's nothing. I mean, for most, most Christians, it's nothing. It really is compared to what a lot of Christians have suffered through the centuries. Uh, for other Christians who are going through incredibly hard ordeals, maybe lost a family member because of COVID-19 or, or lost a, a business that they spent years and years building and so forth, then it is far more intense. And, uh, but at the same time, you need to recognize that the Lord promised to get you through those things. So what I want to talk about is uh, how to make spiritual lemonade. How to make spiritual lemonade because we're in a situation that is far different. I mean, it took me, I'm still not used to it. That's really odd. It's really strange, you know. Uh, it, it, you know, the upheaval. Just, you know, right now I see, I see nobody in this entire 
uh, building except two people at the soundboard, you know. And praise God for uh, James and, and Haley. You guys are troopers. Uh, and I know Tom's upstairs, so I think there's four of us today. Uh, but I want to encourage you guys to really focus on the big picture. And I love, as you know, if you've been at Blessed Hope anytime long or part of our studies and our podcast family or live stream or see the mess through the years, we love to look at the big picture, but we also let, love to look at the, the smaller pictures that make up the big picture. Sometimes we'll, be, we'll just hone in on one verse, you know, for maybe weeks, and other times we'll cover a lot of ground. And, and this is one of those things where you need to understand the big picture to appreciate the little picture. And you need to realize that there's lemons in your life, and there's that old saying, if life gives you a lemon, to make lemonade. You remember that? If life gives you a lemon, make lemonade. Well, you know what? That's a good saying if you know how to make lemonade, okay? Because if you use the sugar of this world... You're going to have a really hard time making lemonade as you ought to because uh, too much sugar will kill you, right? Now I'm talking about spiritual lemonade. So if you, want to, if you really want to uh, make uh, lemonade, you're going to have to do it God's way. And when we go through trials, and COVID-19 is a trial for most everybody to one degree or another, amen? And if you, when you're in a trial, what you need to do is make sure there's one or two options, okay? The Bible says with every temptation, the Greek word's parasmos. And it also can be translated trial. That same word is translated trial in James chapter 1. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you, when you encounter various trials. Amen? So when you, when you encounter various prosmas, same Greek word, let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm tempted of God. Or there's no temptation that's overtaking you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful and with the temptation will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen? So you'll be able to endure Parasmas, temptation, trial. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Parasmas. So it's very interesting that when we go through these things, Satan's goal is to make us bitter. Amen? That's his goal. When we go through trials, we're facing uh, health issues. We're facing financial issues. We're facing family issues, relational issues, issues with a spouse, educational issues, all kinds of different issues. Uh, when you face these issues, you can get bitter or you can get better. It's a choice. You can just eat that lemon straight up and eat lemon for the rest of your life without any sweetener, or you can make spiritual lemonade out of it. And I choose, by the grace of God, uh, and I hope you choose, to honor Jesus, to glorify him, and to get better rather than bitter when I go through trials. And it's interesting because... As I was thinking about some of these, the scriptures on, you know, how the enemy tries to mess with us and how the Lord is for us and he's against us and how the enemy wants to turn us against the Lord. When really it's the enemy, Satan, who wants to destroy us. Amen. He's called the tempter. Okay. The Lord calls us to resist temptation, tells us he'll give us strength and tells us he'll bless us. Blessed is a man right before the scriptures say in James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted of God. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Because after he's tried, right, he'll receive what? The crown of life, amen? And that's what the Lord wants to bless us with. He wants to crown our lives with eternal life. And there's examples in the scripture, throughout the scripture, where we see different situations. And I thought about settling in on one, maybe two, but I thought I'd go through three different scriptural examples where people could have very easily got bitter. Some of the main characters in the scripture. 
And God uses them as examples for us not to get bitter, but to get better. And I would have to say that the three of these people probably went through more trials than oftentimes several people do in one lifetime. And most of these folks went through more trials than any of us have been through. But the Lord got them through these trials. And one of my favorite persons in the scripture is Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, from chapter 35 to 50, just about, almost, right? I'm just kind of approximately speaking. We went verse by verse through the book of Genesis one time. And Tony uh, Palacio, uh, one of our worship leaders, he was uh, telling me just a couple weeks ago how that was one of his, I think he said his favorite study ever, you know. But uh, and he was really like talking about Joseph because Joseph is such an incredible picture of Jesus. We looked at how many ways over and over and over again. He's a picture of Jesus way back in Genesis, rejected by his own, you know, his own family rejects him, his own brothers. You remember that? And Jesus says, Jesus, you know, came to his own, but his own what? Own received him not, amen? Even though he made the world, the world did not receive him. And Joseph was given a coat of many colors by his father. He was loved by his father. Sound familiar? Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. And he's wonderfully blessed in his relationship with the father and his father. And he has miraculous dreams, you see, just like Jesus demonstrated in the miraculous powers. And God was going to use Joseph to deliver the world from famine, even as he used Jesus to deliver the world from spiritual famine by giving us the bread of life. And what happened is he was rejected because of the jealousy of his family members. He was brutally treated by his own brothers who were envious, who were jealous of his position. And what they ended up doing was plotting to kill him at one point. And they threw him in a pit and had a little trial what they were going to do. That's what the Jews did to Jesus, okay? Kept him overnight, delivered him over to, uh, uh, you know, Caiaphas' courtyard. He was overnight there, which would be in a pit. Joseph was thrown in the pit. What happened? He was handed over to the Gentiles. Who was? Joseph and Jesus. Remember that? And uh, Joseph was handed over to the Midianites. And guess who hatched the plan? Let's not kill him, but let's, let's betray him. Let's get some money out of this. Let's make a deal with him. One of his brothers. Which one? Judah. Judah is Hebrew for who? Judas, right? He was a picture of Judas who would betray Jesus, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. It's a powerful picture there. And we don't have t time to develop the entire typology, but understand this. Joseph humbled himself, and he submitted to the plan of the Father, and he refused to get bitter, even though Family rejection is one of the most painful things that you can endure as a human being. It is. Because family, as the Bible says, a brother is born for adversity. So your own family is supposed to be born to help you when you're in adversity. Yet when you feel like you got a knife in the back from a family member, Jesus said of Judas, you know, you betray with a kiss. And he called him his, his friend at one point, you know. And he was betrayed by him. And that was very, very painful because, keep in mind, Jesus is God, but he's also man. And he's suffering as a man. And you say, well, you know what? But I don't think Jesus understands what I'm, what I'm going through. Are you kidding? Jesus went through more than all of us put together because he suffered for the sins of the world. Amen? It says he was tempted in every way like we have been, yet without 
sin, amen? And the scriptures tell us, and we'll feel rejection at times. We'll feel, un- all of us will feel unloved at times or underappreciated. We all go through things like that through our lives at different times, you know? And you'll feel certain ways and so forth, but you don't want to go by your feelings. And you want to trust the Lord and you want to look to him because that's what Joseph did. And that was a key to Joseph getting victory. You see, how was he able to make spiritual lemonade instead of becoming a bitter person like he was always sucking on a lemon? And if you're walking around and you feel like you're always sucking on a lemon, you're just bitter and that's dangerous. That's dangerous because the Bible warns about bitterness and how bitterness can defile many. And it's in that context where in James, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we're supposed to eschew bitterness, that we're supposed to pursue holiness and not bitterness. And it talks about how Esau became bitter. And it says, you know, bitterness can, def- you know, it says, see to it that none of you fail the grace of God. Don't fail the grace of God, right? And not to allow a root of bitterness spring up in you and defile many. And what happens is, as Christians, when we look to Jesus, we're following him, we're seeking him, things are going well, it's really hard for Satan to plant a seed of bitterness in us. So bitterness usually comes when you're at a place where you have a reason to potentially be bitter, when you're let down, when your heart is sad. The Bible says, a, a, you know, a hope deferred book of Proverbs, makes the heart sad. So let's say there's a hope you have and it just gets dashed. At that point, Satan sees a crack in your heart and he's able to plant a seed into your heart and say, hey, check this out. Can you believe they treated you that way? Can you believe that you're not being loved today the way you feel like you should be loved? Can you believe that you're not being uh, appreciated the way you've shown appreciation to other people? Or whatever he says, he sows seeds of discouragement And those seeds of discouragement then mutate into seeds of bitterness. And then all of a sudden you have this big, ugly weed growing out that you nurse and you water and you justify having in your life. life. And what happens is that root of bitterness, its roots grow bigger and bigger and bigger and choke out any love, kindness, any of the fruit of the Spirit that would be in your heart. And that comes forth and it becomes this consuming weed that destroys other people as well. So it's imperative that we don't allow bitterness to control our lives. And Joseph could have been one of those guys because guess what? There's a million people, way more than a million, through human history that went through hardships like Joseph and lived with bitterness. Many of them are walking down the streets, right? Or right now, a lot of them are holed up in, in, a, in a hotel rooms and so forth. A lot of the homeless because we're COVID-19. And a lot of them are speaking to themselves and a lot of them are speaking to demons. A lot of them are demons have, having demons speak out of them because a lot of those folks, not all of them, Not all of them, but many of these folks that are like that have oftentimes become bitter at something. And they've been given, they've given way to Satan. They've given way to the enemy to work in their hearts or or in their lives. And and the enemy has just wreaked havoc. And they've been handed over to Satan in some way. And he owns them. He's held them captive at their will. And and when you see a homeless person, understand, sometimes it's a lot of just a lot of drug use, right? Sometimes it's a lot of uh, bitterness, Sometimes it's, oftentimes it's occult usage and, and seeking the things of the devil. Other times it's people that are genuinely trying to go forward, but they've had a lot of hardships in their life and they can't make 
things meet, okay? And they need Jesus. They need, they need encouragement. All of them need Jesus. So we need to be praying for these people. We can't act like we know each and every one of them and what they've gone through. There's a myriad of reasons that people end up in those situations. And yes, there's some more common denominators with some of them than others for sure. But I'm telling you right now, there are all kinds of people that when they get their eyes focused on themselves and isolate themselves and focus just on themselves, that the enemy has a heyday with. And right now, because of COVID-19, a lot of people are isolated. A lot of people are feeling a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of, they're upset, they're ticked off in some ways. And what happens is, that's when the enemy comes in and the floodgates open and the enemy plants all these seeds. So it's imperative that we do not allow him to plant those seeds in our lives and that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that we recognize that God created us everything. As the Apostle Paul said, what do you have but that which you received? I love that, man. Whenever I think of that verse, in a good way, it stops me in my tracks. That means anything that Joe Schimmel has, that's good. And that you have, that's good. That's good. That's a blessing. Every good and perfect gift, it says, comes from the Father lights from above. Amen. Comes from the Lord. Amen. So every good and perfect gift, any blessing that you have in your life that's truly a blessing is from the Lord. Not of your own doing. So we ought to be thankful. Amen. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be praising him. Amen. And any of the ugliness, any of the sin, I should say, the only thing we can take credit for ultimately is our sin. And that's a humbling thought. But you know what? It's a good thought because it's reality. It's like, wow, that means I owe everything to Jesus. That means he made me. That means he shed his blood to redeem me. That means I don't even deserve to be alive. And he's given me the gift of life. That means I should stop whining and start praising. Amen? I should stop whining and start worshiping. Now, it's interesting because Joseph was, after he humbled himself and he was rejected and sold into slavery, what happened to Jesus? Jesus was crucified. And he rose to the right hand of the Father. And he dispenses the bread of life now throughout the world. What did, you, what did you, Joseph do? He rose to the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. And God gave him supernatural guidance through dreams and so forth, the Pharaoh that he interpreted and so forth, to feed the entire world, the civilized world, the world around them, in the midst of a horrible famine. So what do you do in a famine? You look to the Lord. Joseph looked to the Lord. Instead of getting, now if Joseph would have got bitter and just said, you know what, I'm ticked off. And you know, just become, you know, uh, but he tried to keep his integrity. Amen, he did. When he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, what did he do? They say, you know what? I've been let down a lot in life. I deserve to have a relationship with this woman, this, this one night stand kind of thing. Because I've been through so much pain, God will understand. No. No, he, he maintained his integrity, amen, and he rebuffed her sexual seductions, her advances, and fled the scene. He flew temptation. The Bible says we're to flee temptation, amen? We're to flee temptation. So it's important that we get this, that we understand this, that in the midst of having trauma in our lives, in the midst of, and some people are going through really horrible times. Some people right now, I've read the stats, many, many, I've checked out many different articles I read on domestic abuse around the country, not just the country, the world. And many nations are reporting about 30% uptick in calls to hotlines to talk about or to complain about or to cry for help regarding domestic abuse. Huge. So a lot of people are in situations that are very, very painful. It's in those painful times 
that the enemy feels that he can seduce you more. And it's during those times that you need to keep your guard up and say, no, no, I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to do the right thing. Amen. And Joseph rebuffed the temptations that came and he stood fast and continued to trust the Lord. And guess what? What would have happened if he would have slept with Potiphar's wife? What, if, what would have happened if Joseph would have just said, hey, shine God and just live for himself? We would never be reading about him. Or we'd be, if we read about him, it would be a shorter story. It would be about how he fell away from God and like King Asa and God put him to death or something, you know? And his life would be, you know, his legacy would be infamy, you know? And not, not glorious, but it's glorious because he made the right decisions. And your life is very short. This test, while a lot longer than a test you might take at school, you know, but it's still a vapor compared to eternity. And you might as well get it right. You might as well live for Jesus, amen? Might as well make the right decisions. And I praise God because guess what? We are being tested. Let no one say when he's being tested or tempted, he's being tempted by God. God is for you. He wants to bless you. Satan is the one that wants to make you bitter. But I praise God because we don't get to cheat on the test, but we get... It's the, it's, the, it's the kind of test that God gives us that gives us an advantage over, I mean, it's the easiest test in the world if you rely on the tools that God's given you. It's an open book test, amen? It's an open book test. I love that. Amen? And guess what? You make a mistake? Guess what? Can I do that over? Can I be forgiven? Yes. Okay. Woo, wow. And then you have the comforter, amen? The paraclete, the counselor, Okay? Oh, I wish I could have that guy over here there help me. He knows all the answers. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit leads us in all truth. He knows all the answers. Amen? So we should be passing the test. There's no reason to fail the test. Amen? God is with us. The teacher is with us. Amen? And he wants us to score an A+. Amen? And even when we've fallen short and we've gotten questions wrong and we've made wrong turns in our life, if we repent and ask for mercy, he forgives us all of our wrong answers. Amen? still we end up in a certain place by decisions we make and you don't want to make bad decisions because you can end up in a really bad place but you can say Lord have mercy on me and help me walk in righteousness so you end up in the right place in the end and not the wrong place so praise God Joseph passed the test Joseph could have if anybody in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis which is 50 when chapter 50 the long book could have you think might have an excuse for becoming upset, ticked off, and giving up. It was Joseph, but guess what? He didn't do that. Don't you do that. Don't you give up. I don't care how much you feel like you've been rejected. I don't care how much you feel like you've lost. If God is for us, who can be against us? The scriptures say amen. Amen. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And it's interesting because in Genesis chapter 47, listen to what Joseph said in chapter 45, verse 7. To his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Wow. So instead of getting bitter at his brothers, he partook in the story of redemption to help them. Like Jesus on the cross, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Amen. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, near the end of the book. As for you, as for you, this is what Joseph says to his brothers. You meant evil against me. It doesn't change reality. He says, what really wasn't sin, you know? You know, you guys meant, meant well. No, God calls sin, sin. He says, you meant evil against me, but God, but God. I love that. Did a whole message one time called, but God. 
when we were dead in sins in our trespasses, Ephesians chapter 2. Look, that's a hopeless situation that says, but God, who is rich in mercy, amen. He saved us by his grace. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive, amen. And that's beautiful, I'll tell you why. Because if you handle the lemons that are given to you in a biblical way, okay, and you bring in the spiritual ingredients that the Lord calls you to bring in, his word, his love, his spirit, you will get spiritual lemonade, so to speak. You will be a blessing to other people. Amen? Now, if you reject allowing God to work in your life, and you reject the hand of the Lord, then bitterness will come out of you. It's not as though there's a medium path, right? You know? Lukewarm. Jesus said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because thou art lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're either going to be bitter or you're going to be better. There's not a middle ground. And you want to choose to become better in Jesus. And that's what Joseph did. He kept his eyes on, now check this out. Did you notice he kept his eyes in the big picture? You meant evil against me, but what you tried to do against me, God meant it and used it for the good, amen? And that's powerful because that speaks of God's sovereignty. That speaks of his providence. That speaks of how men can seek to do evil things, but God can use even what they're using because he's the master chess player, amen, and have you victorious in the end. But the only way you're victorious in the end is if you're with him in the end. If you realize it's about him, that history is his story, amen? It's all about Jesus. It's his story. And when you recognize that it's about him and you say, hey, I want to be aligned with your will, then you're blessed in the end because where he is, you will be also, amen? But if you're not walking with him and you're doing your own thing, Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Amen? So we want to make sure we're with Jesus and make the right decisions. And you want to make sure that in the saga of life, your, in your life, the things that you go through, that you're a Joseph and not a Judah. Okay? Because there's always a Judah who hatched the plan to sell him into slavery. You want to make sure that you're not the one that's hurting other people. You want to make sure that you're the one that's being a blessing to other people. Amen? Because guess what? Satan's, just as the Lord God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those he can strengthen to do his will, amen? Guess what? The enemy goes to and fro throughout the earth like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. But the people he devours, he ends up animating and using often to hurt other people. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman either. Another guy I think about, so I said I wanted to go not through one story, but three different stories that I think are powerful, that illustrate those who could have become very bitter, but became better. Those who were given lemons in life, so it seemed, but they saw that they didn't see just lemons. They said, wait a minute, God's giving me lemonade if I make the right decisions. And yes, I could become bitter through this, but God's promised me that he's good that his mercies endure forever, that he will never fail me, that he will never leave me nor forsake me, that he, he'll be the strength in my life, that he'll give me wisdom when I pray and I'm in the middle of trials, that he'll be my fortress, he'll be my refuge, he'll be my strong arm, amen, that he'll be my all in all. And that's who he is to us. We need to seek and push in to intimacy with the Lord. And you know what? Who's another one that you might think of that was handed, it seemed, a bunch of lemons in life in the Old Testament? Job? Job would be a great uh, choice because 
if you were to look at those who study the Old Testament, I'd probably put Job number one, Joseph number two. But it's hard to say because Joseph's trial was, seems to be more protracted, but Job seems to be more intense. And it was one thing to be rejected by your family members, another thing to lose all your kids, you know, and have your wife turn against you and your friends turn against you. And it's interesting because Job looked at the bigger picture. Joseph was successful in the midst of his trial because he didn't say like many people say, oh no, COVID-19, the sky's falling, it's all over, I'm going to shrink and die, when they don't even have it. And in many cases, they're getting free money. And I mean, talk about a trial that, I mean, how many trials do you get money from the government? I mean, come on, you know. I'm not saying it's not tough. It's tough on a lot of people. I mentioned that earlier in my message. But a lot of people don't realize how horrific trials could be when they haven't experienced something like Job did. Because Job lost all, I don't have time to get into each story. And I know I even got to pick it up a bit because I got two stories with about the amount of time I had to begin with or that I've already used, I should say. But I want to just give a little sketch of Job. I mean, he lost all of his family, all of his children, I should say. I can't imagine that. If I lost one of my children, it would be devastatingly painful for me. Okay? He lost all of his children. And he loved those children dearly. I mean, keep in mind, he woke up and he would sacrifice a huge bull for them when they have a birthday party and all the kids would get together just in case somebody might have sinned against him. He was so concerned about their welfare and yet they all perish. And you know what? Devastating storm came through, destroyed his physical and material assets. And you know what? He looked at the big picture. Joseph looked at the big picture. What, you guys meant for evil, God meant for good, to save many people alive. Job looked at the big picture. We read in Job chapter one, verse 20. In this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised or blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Catch that? He did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's a huge key. You want to make sure that you never blame God. You want to make sure that when you go through hard times and you're like, I don't understand this. How come I'm going through this, Lord? And all of a sudden, point the finger as though God made some kind of mistake. It's absolutely not 89, not 92, not 97, not 99.99999% that God can't sin. It's one absolute 100% that God is incapable of sinning because the Bible is very, very clear. I mean, look, he made this entire universe. And the Bible tells us that there's no shadow of turning to him and that he's perfect in all of his ways and that God is good. And God is incapable of saying, oops. Okay? He's never like, ah, I messed up there. No, he doesn't do it. So you can never blame God. You can misunderstand God. You can misunderstand what the Lord is doing. But even when you misunderstand what he's doing, you need to still say, you know what, ultimately he is good. I just need to wait on him and be patient with him because I'm not God and he is God. I mean, read the last few chapters of the book of Job when God rebukes Job and says, where were you when I created the universe? You know, where were you? Tell me if you know these things. 
He takes him through a litany of things that Job cannot answer. And Job just puts his hand over his mouth and says, I repent and dust and, and, and sackcloth and ashes. It's just like, you know. And because, you know, what, Job was starting to be tempted a little bit because God says, the Lord says to him, are you going to try to justify, condemn me to justify yourself? Woo! Now, Job never got to the point where he cursed God and died. But the enemy moved his heart a little bit. But God would always be able to bring it back. Watch your heart. Guard your heart, the Bible says, with all diligence. Because out of it come the streams of life. Amen? Out of your heart come streams. And if they're bitter, there'll be bitterness in your life. And you'll just have a hard time with everybody. And all of a sudden you'll say, well, this person. And that person. And this person. And that person. You'll just be bitter to everybody. And really, guess what? You're pointing at people. But all the time you're pointing at people, there's what? A thumb pointing back at you and three other fingers. And I always say, if everybody else smells like Limburger cheese, you might have Limburger cheese stuck to your mustache. Amen? So we need to say, wait a minute, maybe I have the problem because I'm always having a hard time with everybody. And, you know, don't, you know, say, oh, it's over. It's, I guess that's me. If that is you, just say, hey, praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you care enough about me to point it out to me at this time. So I could take the Limburger off my mustache. If you're a woman, you know, no woman mustache jokes right now. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have bitterness in your heart, you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Some say, and it's, it's absolutely stupid. Some say, well, sometimes you just need to forgive God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's impossible to forgive God because he's never done anything wrong. And even to have the audacity to think that you could just do that as something that's therapeutic is wicked. Why? Because it insinuates and implies that there's some deficiency of God in God. That's so untrue and that's from the pit of hell, man. You need to say, Lord, have mercy on me. I've misunderstood. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to humble myself before you. And the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Amen? So Job looked at the big picture, said, Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? He's, he's in control ultimately, and I've got to give him thanks. Well, guess what, man? Woo, man, he was topsy-turvy. He got nailed again right after that. Satan came at him again. Boils, head to toe, you know, scraping pus out of his boils with, pot, with pottery, man, and just in such pain. And it got really bad. And Job's wife said to him, Job chapter 2, verse 9, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. Now his wife has told him, curse God and die. Now remember, that's what Satan said originally. I can get him to curse you to your face. And what did, what did he say about his friends? Just read about what his friends were saying. A lot of them were insinuating that he did something really evil for this to happen. The Bible says he was blameless. Amen? So they misunderstood it. And, and he needs comfort, right? His worst wife saying, just kill yourself and die. And curse God and kill yourself, basically. And his friends, he says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. You guys are miserable comforters. I mean, just don't sign up to be comforters again because you're, just, you're not very good at it. In fact, you're, you're, not, you're not just neutral. You're miserable at it. And poor Job, you know, Job 27, 3 and 4. As long as my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. He was trying to watch what he said. He's trying to, not to blame God. Okay, okay. Psalm, or John, uh, Job 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you with my hearing of my, the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. 
Wow. Therefore, I despise myself and re- repent in dust and ashes. I mean, I recognize you are holy. The Lord showed up to him in a whirlwind, you know, and said, who do you think you are, Job? You know? And Job's like, whoa, I repent in dust and ashes. And you know what? We need to learn from this. These things are written so that we might have hope. They're also written, it says, to warn us that we don't fall the way others fell. So we look at this and say, wow, if the Lord appeared to me, what would he say to me with my musings if they're ungodly, with my bitterness if that's where I'm living? You're going to have thoughts sometimes where you feel rejected or you feel hurt or you feel like you're going through hard times and, 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 and everybody's going to go through that, but it's when you choose to live in that, you choose to let that define you and that becomes how you, be, you, know, you basically define, you basically decide to define yourself that way as a human being and you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, Job uh, chapter 13, verse 15. I love this, man. He says to the Lord, though you slay me. Keep in mind, he'd already said the Lord had made him his target. He thought he was the Lord's target. He thought the Lord wanted to destroy him. He totally misunderstood what was going on. Totally was unaware of what he was specific, what was going on in the spiritual realm. We get the hindsight, you know. We get to, the, the, the heavenly realm is peeled back and we see Satan going, we see God speaking to Satan and we see this dialogue going on and we see this trial going on in his life. So we see the bigger picture. Job didn't see the bigger picture yet. He didn't see the bigger picture in respect to what was going on in the spiritual world. We see it and we're like, Whew. but you know what? This blows me away about Job. Though you slay me, yet I'll praise you. I mean, I don't understand what's going on here. Feels like you're out to get me, God but I'm going to praise you anyway because I know ultimately deep down you're good. Amidst some of his rantings, he still would have a revelation of truth. And I love Job chapter 23, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I love that. Some of my favorite verses in Job. He knows the way that I take. And uh, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That was prophetic. Because he realized he didn't understand the biggest part of the picture that there's a spiritual rebellion, or I'm sorry, warfare going on. And that Satan was the one that was trying to destroy him. The Lord, if Satan was trying to make him bitter, God was trying to make him better. You have to understand that. Because some of Satan's greatest masterpieces is to get you to think that God wants to destroy you and doesn't love you, doesn't care about you, doesn't want you to be victorious. That's what he's trying to do with Job. That God somehow predestined or predetermined that you couldn't have him, a relationship with him, that Jesus doesn't love you, that he didn't die for you. And that's from the pit of hell because he died for all. He promises whosoever will, amen, may take the water of life freely. So it's imperative that we understand that Job saw enough of the big picture to know that the Lord gave, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, doesn't see the spiritual things that are going on at this point, but then says, I know that, when he's done with me, I'm going to come forth like gold. And how do you get gold? You purify it in fire, man. And it gets the dross out of the gold. And the Bible says, let no one of you, the Bible says very, very clearly that uh, we're not to consider the present trials in James chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, that nobody's to think that when you're, trial, you're, you're going through a trial that it's some strange thing. Amen? But it talks about in that passage that, that God is trying us for pur- a purpose. He wants us to come forth as gold. Now, it's interesting, in Job 19.25, listen to this. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. Redeemer, that's Savior. I know my Savior. I know my Redeemer lives. 
I love this. And now that's the first book probably written in the Bible, even before Genesis. Job has the word of the Lord. He's not a Jew. He's not a Hebrew, not an Israelite. He's not under the Jewish temple system. God was speaking to different people to draw them to himself, even outside of Israel. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And Jesus will, amen. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, amen. And after my skin has been destroyed, death, yet in my flesh, I will see God resurrection when the Lord returns. That's, that's a way old book, man. But Job is receiving the word of God in the midst of his trial. In the midst of your trial, you seek the Lord, amen. You seek the word of the Lord. You seek his promises. Because I'm telling you what, one of the ingredients for you to make spiritual lemonade, that old saying, life gives you lemon, make lemonade. It doesn't work. You can't just make lemonade. You need other ingredients. And when it comes to life, in this world, you cannot make spiritual lemonade unless you have the right ingredients. And some of those ingredients are the promises of God, amen? You need to rely on God's promises or you will get bitter. You need to see light at the end of the tunnel when you're going through a trial. You need to trust God's character, that he is holy, that he's righteous, that he is good, that he doesn't, uh, there's no, that none of his word has ever fallen to the ground, the scriptures say. It doesn't fail, amen? And you need to praise God. And then, like James says in James chapter 5 at the end of his epistle in the New Testament, he says, consider the endurance of Job and how God blessed him at the end of his life. What? You read Job and you think of suffering, but you know what? We forget that God blessed him in the end and gave him a brand new family. He gave him twice as much, it says, because he had the family in heaven, family there, and God restored his resources, restored his reputation, blessed him, and I'll tell you what, you hang on. Joseph hung on. Amen? Joseph hung in there and pressed on in Jesus, and he was blessed in the end. Job hung on and pressed on in the Lord, and guess what? He was blessed in the end. Amen? Are you with me? That's what we need to do through our trials. And you might say, yeah, well, you know, you're giving this message on trials, and I, I hope it encourages a lot of people. I'm not really going through a trial right now, but I, can, I still want to, I still can appreciate the truth that you're sharing. Hide these truths in your heart, though, because you will go through trials. Every one of us will. And there'll be opportunities for them to knock to get you bitter. A lot of people are embittered right now with life that had no idea they'd become embittered. One of my other favorite stories where the enemy tries to make people bitter, but God causes people to triumph is in the story of Naomi. Remember Naomi? Naomi was an uh, awesome lady, man. She was married to Limbeck and... Uh, Abimelech, and his name means God is king, you know? And she had a couple sons, you know, Malon and Chilion. Chilion means pining or that which leads to sorrow, right? Malon means uh, uh, weakness or weakling. It's an interesting name. So it sounds like when they were born, their lives were, you know, kind of ebbing away maybe. But they grew up. But then they entered a time of severe trial, because it tells us in the book of Ruth that a famine came upon the land. And where was the land they were in? Bethlehem, where our Lord was born, amen? Bethlehem means house of bread, amen? And there's a famine in the house of bread. And so they go down to where the, the Moabites live to find some resources, find some work and so forth. And they leave the house of bread, Evidently, not everybody left there and they held out because later they get word that God has brought food back to them. So perhaps they made a bad choice. 
usually going down to Egypt or going to the Gentiles, which were forbidden to go and mingle among them in the Old Testament law uh, and so forth. Uh, usually that's a, a mistake, you know. But there's not a lot of commentary than what happens when they get there. Now, it's interesting because uh, Malon and Chilion meet two different gals among the Moabites. And uh, they meet Orpah and they meet uh, Ruth. The book of Ruth is quite interesting because it follows Proverbs. And the central character in the book of Ruth is actually, you know, we think of Ruth. And she's a huge part of the story, right? Same with Naomi, the mother of Malon and Chilion. But Ruth herself uh, and Naomi even aren't really the central part of the story. The central part of the story is really Boaz because he plays the hero in the story. But while they're among the Moabites, Chilion and Malon both die. They just both die. And also, it's sad, but we read uh, in the scripture uh, that her husband dies as well. And uh, so think of what she's been through. We don't know exactly what she went through. When you look at the name of her, her sons, she had some real hardship probably with them growing up. Malon and Chilion, weakling or weakness and pining away. Wow. Yet they grow, get through life. She's like, wow, and they're married. And she's like, wow, they married Moabites. You know, you're not supposed to marry pagans. See, what I'm saying is there seems to be some kind of rebellion going on. And then both the husbands die, right? Interesting. Her husband dies, whose name means, you know, Yahweh is king. It's like, wow. And her name means pleasant, Naomi. But when they hear, they get word that God has brought bread again to the house of bread, Bethlehem, they go back. Now Orpah wants to stay with her people, the pagans. But she brings Ruth back with her. Remember that? She, asks, she tells Ruth that you can go on as well. And what does Ruth do? You know, actually, it's pretty powerful. Uh, uh, it's interesting because Ruth actually, you know, invites her. And she says, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Wow. She became a proselyte. It's chapter 1, verse 17, or 16 now. And then verse 17. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord, and she used the name Yahweh there. She knows Yahweh. That's beautiful. Thus may the Yahweh do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more to her. I love that because guess what? When you seem all alone, you seem forsaken, you seem, man, I got a bunch of lemons. It's like, God, why did you allow it to happen in my life? And you can start to get bitter. You got to be careful. Because Naomi had said, do not call me Naomi, chapter 1, verse 20. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. That's what Mara means, bitter. Remember the waters that were Mara, they were bitter? I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Listen to how she's blaming God. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord, Yahweh, has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. You know, what blows me away about this is this, this blows me away because 
it blows me away because when you look at the scripture and the scripture I just quoted earlier, Ruth has radical faith, amen? See, Naomi sees this all as a glass, not just half empty, but with just a drip, if anything, left in the glass. But I think it's profound to me when I think of this story, how Ruth looks at this as a glass, that drip of water is life to her. Because guess what? She's come to know the one true God. And through a series of decisions that were probably not the best made by Naomi's husband and her family, God still used these things. And she saw enough in them in seeking the Lord. She realized Naomi must have had some walk with God, amen? Because she says, may your God be my God, you know? So in the midst of it, she's struggling. She's struggling to say, okay, God's hand is in this somehow. He's sovereign of this. And she's not cursing God, though. She's not saying, you know, uh, shine, you God, I want nothing to do with you. But she's like, I don't understand. But guess what? Ruth comes to faith in Yahweh. If you stick to the Lord through your hardest trials, you'll be a witness to other people like Ruth. And guess what? Guess what God did with Ruth? God used Ruth to encourage who? Naomi, amen? So when it seems like there's no help in sight, if you keep seeking the Lord, he'll rise people up. Amen? But you must make yourself friendly to have a friend, amen? Right? That's what we need to do. We need to seek the Lord and put him first. Now, it's interesting that she continues to go forward. And one of the amazing things about this is that it's a long story, but I'm going to cut to the the crux of it, is it seems like there's no hope. Because in those days, if you did not have a husband to take care of you and you were a widow, you're in trouble. But usually, if you have a son or children, even a daughter, you could expect some kind of help along the way. She lost. She didn't have any daughters. She had two daughter-in-laws, both pagans. Her husband dies, both sons die. And she allows, she says, well, you could go back to your people. God you, throws her a lifeline through Ruth. This is my point. Even when things look so bad in your life, God is still at work. And then through that lifeline, Naomi, God gives her wisdom. She remembers God's word. Just like she got word that God was feeding them in Bethlehem and went up, back up to Bethlehem. Now she gets word that Boaz, whose name means pillar. Boaz, right? He's a near kinsman redeemer. According to the book of Le- Leviticus, there was a law of the kinsman redeemer, the Leverite law, the law that stated that uh, if a woman, you know, loses her husband, it's the responsibility of his, near, his brother, right, to take care of her, to marry her, okay, and take care of her. That was God's way of making sure people were taken care of. And Ruth tells Naomi that you have a kinsman redeemer. I'm sorry, Naomi tells Ruth, you have a kinsman redeemer. And I don't have time to go through the whole story, but she goes and gleans from Boaz's field, and Boaz is a rich man, and she's eating the fruit that falls down from the ground. He takes notice of her, and long story short, he finds out that he's, he wasn't even the nearest kinsman redeemer. He said, oh, there's a problem. There's somebody that's close to, but then he goes and deals with that guy, and guess what? He gets the right to get her. But there's also you know, land and so forth associated with him. And there's a, there may be a problem there, but guess what? He takes that brother's land, okay? Purchases it or whatever he does with that. And then he ends up with, guess what? Ruth. Ends up with Ruth. And Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. How? Jesus said, 
the kingdom of God is like this. A man goes into a field and he discovers a treasure and he buries the treasure and buys the field so he can get the treasure. Boaz took, acted on the Leverate law, took the land of his dead relative and he got the treasure, which is Ruth. Ruth was a Gentile, a Moabite. She was a picture of the church. Jesus came into this world and the Bible describes the world in one of his parables as the field, right? The field. He buys the entire field through his blood so he could get the treasure, which is his people. And the crazy thing about this is this all happened in Bethlehem. Boaz ends up being in Jesus's, well, he's that granddaddy of guess who? From him comes, eventually you got Jesse right after him, then you got David, King David. And from King David, you have Jesus in Bethlehem, amen? And Boaz is the genealogy of Jesus, the big picture. What's the point here? Is there's a big, giant picture, and each of these people that I've went through is part of that big picture. So are you. So are you. Your life. How many times did Job feel like his life was useless? Amen? How many times did Joseph's life feel like, I can't believe what's going on in me early on, huh? Well, these dreams I thought I got from God, what's going on? It doesn't make any sense. And, and Job's like, what happened? You know, look at this, you know. And Naomi's like, don't call me Naomi Pleasant. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Call me Mara. My life's over. They all thought, could have thought, and they could have all given in to bitterness, but they all chose not to give in to bitterness. They all chose the Lord. Amen? Choose this day whom you will serve. Amen? Choose the fear of the Lord. Choose the way of life. I put life and death before you. Amen. Blessings and curses. Choose life that you may live. We need to make sure that we choose life. And guess what? I love it because Boaz, that name is used in the book of Proverbs, the Hebrew name, you know, and right after Proverbs and chapter 31, we have this incredible picture of the ideal woman of God that fears the Lord. Boom. Right after Proverbs, you have, you know, the book of you have Ruth, and it's interesting, and, and Boaz. So it's quite amazing because as we look at these different stories, again, you have to make a choice who you're going to be. Are you going to identify with Boaz? Are you going to identify with Ruth? And by the way, Naomi, she was blessed in the end. Guess why? Guess why she was blessed in the end? Because now she has this rich guy named Boaz taking care of her. Because Naomi's getting old. And guess what? Boaz is her son-in-law now. See how God orchestrated that? And now, now Naomi's taken care of. I'm telling you, the details are amazing when you look at Scripture, what's going on here. There's a big picture. And a lot of times I emphasize the kinsman redeemer here, which I have a little bit, and how it's a picture of Jesus. But I want to be very practical, and I want you to hone in on how the Lord took care of Naomi in the end. Amen? That he's going to take care of you. You just put him first. And that means you're looking for the rays of light. Jesus is the light, amen? You're looking for his rays in your life. How is he speaking to me through his word? What's he calling me to, amen? Because Ruth was a ray of light that the Lord allowed in a life that had a lot of lemons. But she incorporated this light. Wow. There was food again in Bethlehem. I'm gonna go back to the house of bread where you probably shouldn't have left. And then she said, oh, there's a kinsman redeemer. He's a picture of Jesus. She probably wasn't thinking he's a picture of Jesus, right? But that's the light. And Ruth, wow, this, she wants to, 
you're, God, you're, you're saying, she's saying, my God's going to be her God? She probably thought, that's convicting. I better make sure he's my God. All this conviction, all this light, all this encouragement. She gets there, Boaz. Then she sees the hand of God at work in her life. And she's given a husband now, I'm sorry, a daughter-in-law that fears and loves God. And she's given a son-in-law, amen, whose name isn't weakling, isn't pining away, but is Boaz pillar, amen. He's risen up a pillar in her life. And that pillar exists in our lives. And we act upon the light that God gives us when we're going through various situations because he won't give us more than we can handle, amen? But in what we had, when there's, you know, you're surrounded by lions in a lion's den. Look at Daniel, right? He'll shut their mouths. When you're in a fire furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So there's one like in there like the son of God, amen? He is with us through whatever we go through. But if you don't look, you won't see and you'll lose all hope. You have to look to Jesus you have to look to him. And you have to remember your redeemer lives. My redeemer liveth. Amen. He lives. And you need to make lemonade, spiritual lemonade, out of what the Lord's given you. Amen. You need to make spiritual lemonade. And how do you do that? Can you do it just out of plain lemons? No. There needs to be other ingredients. Lemons by themselves, bitter lemons do not make sweet lemonade. For us Christians, for anybody who really wants true spiritual lemonade, you know what you need? Remember when the Mara, the waters were bitter? What did they do? What did the Lord instruct them to throw in the water? A tree, amen? And then the waters became sweet. That tree is a picture of the cross. It's a picture of Calvary. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of what he's done in our lives. It's a picture of his atonement, his death for our sins, his glorious resurrection, amen? So when you look at life and you approach the next days and the weeks and months and years ahead, if you allow the cross to be a central focus, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the fact that he paid for your sins, the fact that, guess what, he took all the ugliness that we brought into our lives and he's forgiven it and then he rose again and that we are now, our names are written in heaven and that we've risen with him and we have an eternal hope, amen? And you look at things through the prism of the cross and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You can rejoice and have, le and have lemonade in Jesus, Amen. Press on in Jesus. I love you guys. Praise God for you. God bless you. Father, I pray in your son's name, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they'd recognize that you love them so much, that you care for them so much. And I pray, Father, that they would know that they're loved. And they're not only loved, that they're treasured. Because we're the treasure in the field the Lord found. And he bought the field with his blood so we could belong to him forever and ever. And I pray if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, accept the salvation that he offers. He paid for your sins on the cross. Don't die and pay for your own sins because you've rejected his payment and who he is and his love. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Accept what he did for you on the cross. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus who paid for your sins and rose again. And the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that if you believe in your heart that God rose from the dead and that you confess him from your mouth as Lord, you will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.